is Generation Justice, a multimedia project that trains youth to harness the power of media. I'm Kateri Zuni. And I'm Edgar Cruz. Tonight, we get into some of the awesome fall events coming up in Albuquerque. We will speak with Dr. Shel Sanchez, Director of Cultural Services from the City of Albuquerque, to hear about the city's upcoming plans. And to tell us about the third annual Indigenous Comic Con, the founder and owner of Native Realities and Red Planet Books and Comics, Dr. Lee Francis, joins us. We'll also get some important voter information from Austin Wiaki from NM Native Vote. All of this is coming up, and our first tune of the night is Wash Your Spirits Clean by Walela. Dr. Shell Sanchez is Director of Cultural Services for the City of Albuquerque. She'll tell us about the interplay of art, education, and entrepreneurship going on in the city. Now, Media Justice intern Edgar Cruz speaks with Dr. Shell Sanchez about her goals for the Department of Cultural Services and the many exciting plans that are in the works. This is Edgar Cruz with Generation Justice. And I'm speaking with Dr. Shell Sanchez, Director of Cultural Services for the City of Albuquerque. Welcome to Generation Justice. Thank you. I'm very excited to be here. Will you please tell us more about yourself? Oh, about me. Well, I've lived in Albuquerque since I was four, which is a long time, so I'm not going to tell you how many years. Mm -hmm. um, and I have been working in arts and culture for the last 20 years, and before that was an educator. And I'm just really excited to be working for Mayor Tim Keller and this new administration. Thank you so much. Can you tell us more about the Cultural Services Department and some of the resources or spaces that it oversees? Yeah, the Cultural Services Department is surprisingly large. It's actually one of the largest cultural services departments in the country um, for, um, for a municipality. And I kind of knew that when I was offered the job, but I'll be honest, I didn't realize how big it was when I said yes. Um, so it includes the biopark, which of course is the zoo, Tingley Beach Aquarium Botanic Gardens. It includes the ABC libraries, which there's 18 branches of our library system. It includes the Albuquerque Museum, the Balloon Museum, the Public Art Program, the Urban Enhancement Trust Fund, South Broadway Cultural Center, the Chemo Theater, um, and also all of our really big special events. So Summerfest, Freedom Fourth, Twinkle Light Parade, um, the programming at Old Town. And we have a special relationship with the Explorer Museum. Um, and then we have about 350 employees with um, a budget of about $40 million a year for operating all of those amazing sites and resources for the city. So what's beautiful about that is that the city of Albuquerque makes a huge investment in arts and culture um, and public spaces, um, and larger than some other cities around the country do that are even much bigger than us. How incredible. I also could not have imagined how many other spaces, really, we right. would see the department overseeing. Um, can you tell us more about the mission of the Cultural Services Department? I think um, as a department, 
our mission is is not like singular because we have such a diverse department. So I think the work at the department level, those of us that work um, on behalf of all of those divisions and all of those spaces, our work is really to make their work easier and make it shine and make it possible. And then when you drill down to all of those places and all those programs, they all have um, their own mission. The work of the biopark is pretty different than the work of the library is maybe really different than um, the work of the museum. But across all of those, um, a lot of times we're collecting um, art or collecting maybe information and books. We're, you know, preserving a collection of living species. So there's a lot of things that go across them. And then at every level, we're about engaging community. And that's maybe something we all share. For me, the most important thing that I really try to share about cultural services um, since I've taken this position is that these are these are all of our resources, right? These are all of our spaces. The city of Albuquerque is all of us, and we're investing in these really beautiful spaces, spaces where everybody's stories are told, spaces that we want to be with our family and our friends and our kids. Um, and I think that's a really amazing thing when you look at the level of investment that we make as a city that all of these things belong to us. You walk into the Albuquerque Museum, this is the city of Albuquerque's museum. You walk into the South Broadway Cultural Center, um, you walk by public art on the street. These are these are your things. And um, I, f I just want people to be invested and excited about that. Thank you so much, Michelle. Can you tell us about your position now as director of the Cultural Services Department and maybe what is the most exciting one thing that you have been doing? I think most people maybe understand this intuitively, but a department director in a city government works for the mayor and works on behalf of the mayor and behalf of the mayor's vision. And in many ways, that's probably the most exciting thing that I do. I really believe in this mayor's priorities, which are about public safety, which are about youth programs and investing in our children and our youth, making sure they have meaningful and valuable things to do um, outside of school, um, investing in our economy in the people that are here. And um, he also has a strong value for arts and creativity and our culture. And so that's probably the most exciting thing about my job. And it's probably the only reason I have this job, because I believe in what he's doing and how he wants to do it in our community. Thank you so much, Dr. Shell. Can you tell us about some of the projects that the city is working on right now? Yeah, I think some of the new things that we're we're trying to do within cultural services, um, some of them are a reflection of, of what's important to me, and that's one of the nice things about being at um, a department level is you can really bring things that you feel passionate about to that level. Um, one thing is we're relaunching the Creative Bravos Awards, and these are awards that recognize excellence in our community across all of the creative disciplines. And I think that's really important. Um, I think it's important for community to celebrate the people in their community that are doing amazing work. And that hasn't been happening in the cultural and creative space for a while. So the next um, newly relaunched Creative Bravos will be November 16th. And um, tickets are very affordable. They're $10 each. And there's some amazing recipients. Um, another thing that we're doing, uh, I've really tried to find ways to crack open 
the department's ability to partner with more community organizations. Um, so we have a partnership application that's on our website, and people can give us their ideas. Of course, we can't do everything that comes in, but I really want to hear how people, organizations, um, individual artists would like to be working with cultural services and see where we can find more ways to have really meaningful connection. So that's something I'm pretty excited about. Um, I'm also really excited that this administration uh, includes cultural services in the economic development working group and um, in economic development in general. So often, like looking at jobs and how we infuse our economy happens in a different room than where we talk about arts and creativity. And I'm very happy to have a mayor and a CAO and a COO that see the creatives and our artists and our cultural workers as part of making our economy vibrant. And so to that end, we're involved in a project called Engage, which right now is focusing on downtown and really infusing and activating and using vacant spaces um, to help revitalize downtown. Um, but also to give artists and creatives and, you know, lots of other creative entrepreneurs in a, a space um, to share what they're doing and um, maybe try out pop-up retail, maybe have a different venue for some art that they want to show. So the Engage project is led by Carlos Contreras, and I think that's a really exciting thing we're doing. Thank you so much for sharing. And we were a part of the first Fridays, and it was just so wonderful. And it brought so much of a vibrant energy to a vacant space downtown. And right. And the next first Friday, and that space is going to be even more activated. So I hope you join us again on um, November 2nd, Friday, November 2nd, um, downtown. There's going to be a few more things going on. So it should be fun again. Awesome. Thank you. And can you tell us um, maybe more about some of those upcoming events, including November 2nd? Yeah, so the right now we're really focused on um, first Fridays in downtown in terms of this engage project. Although we were, you know, we do have a, a vision to expand it over the next couple years. So, and the reason we chose first Friday is because there was already a lot of energy around first Fridays, and there were already arts groups and artists and creative business owners in downtown who were activating their spaces on first Friday. So um, it's not something we started. It's just something that we decided if we're going to put effort into it, we'll, we'll partner and we'll amplify what other people are doing instead of thinking that we need to start our own thing. So first Fridays, there's always a lot of different activities going on. They're coming from a lot of different partners. Um, but the city is focused on um, the property at um, 505 Central, which is right on the corner of 5th and Central. Um, and then we'll have some other art installations and um, windows and things that will come up along the way between now and November and then again through December. So we're going to kind of encourage people to walk the street and see where else we have some kind of hidden new gems. You mentioned some partnerships under the Cultural Services Department. Can you tell, tell us more about the partnerships and maybe some of the goals that you would like to see through? Yeah, um, this administration uh, opened an Office of Equity and Inclusion, and that's something that is cross-cutting for all the departments. And for us in cultural services, that means really looking at making sure we're telling everyone's stories or diverse stories. It's um, in as many spaces as possible, and really maybe including um, perspectives that maybe haven't always been represented in museums or um, on the stage. Um, to that end, uh, we have some new partnerships that we're really 
working on building. Um, one of them is with Native Realities. We're doing some um, work with them on youth programs and funding some youth programs that they have coming up with um, Indigicomicon, which is just around the corner. Um, and then also can kind of coincidentally, they were chosen by the selection committee to receive one of the Creative Bravos on November 16th. So we're really excited about those kinds of partnerships and making sure that cultural services is broadly reflective of who our community is and, and who's living here. Yeah, wonderful. Thank you so much. Thanks. All right. How can, where can folks go to find out more and to maybe find a calendar of upcoming events? Well, I mean, specifically about the Engage project, you can find that um, at the city website, and I believe it's um, cabq.gov, either forward or backslash engage. Um, but in terms of all the other projects and events that the cultural services department offers through all of those venues, um, and even the city in general, ABQ to do is a great resource. And that's another thing that we've actually been working really hard on is um, that online calendar. And so it will be relaunching in a different format um, and a different, it'll look different, um, you know, when you log on to ABQ to do. And what also is very different is the back end. We have a new partner um, with um, ADME here in Albuquerque and so a local, kind of local, amazing partner in, in redoing that website. So we're pretty excited about that because ABQ to do is a great resource for our events, but it's an amazing resource for community events. So I hope people will, don't log on right now, but maybe in another two or three weeks, you'll see some um, pretty exciting changes to that to that website. Great. Thank you. And, and can you clarify for me and our listeners uh, the interplay with ABQ to do and the cultural services department? So the cultural services department manages the ABQ to do website. It doesn't live, you know, physically on the um, on the city server like uh, some of the other like if you go to um, cabq.gov um, it, it lives a little bit outside so that it makes it easier for us to host other people's information and their events and all of that but it's essentially an outreach and hopefully a clearinghouse for all of the amazing things that are going on in our city wonderful thank you mm -hmm. is there anything else you would like to add i would like to challenge our listeners um, especially those of us that maybe have lived here for a really long time, to maybe revisit cultural services and look at the list of spaces and places that like truly belong to the citizens and um, and visit them. I think sometimes when we live here for too long, um, you know, we skip some of those amazing resources that we have right in our backyard. And um, so maybe just take a weekend, especially now that it's a little bit colder, and uh, call yourself a tourist and get out and see some of these really beautiful opportunities. And um, the libraries have so many free programs. And the Albuquerque Museum is about to bring a spectacular exhibit, um, Visions of the Hispanic World. And that's going to open, I think, the second weekend of November. The Biopark, I mean, come on. There's otters and there's butterflies and there's like huge, crazy bugs. And um, I don't know. They're just so amazing. And I feel like we should remember that and uh, get out and see them. 
Thank you, Dr. Shell, so much for opening up this space to amplify and really catalyze so much social change through the resources we have and the beautiful art we have in Albuquerque right now. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for giving us a voice, too. For Generation Justice, I'm Edgar Cruz. Dr. Sanchez, thank you so much for joining us here at Generation Justice. I appreciated learning about all of the different resources that we have as Albuquerque residents. Thank you. Now, we'll hear Make It Out Alive by Neo. Dr. Lee Francis is owner and CEO of Native Realities. Lee is also from Laguna, and he's a publisher and owner of Red Planet Books and Comics, and the creator of the annual Indigenous Comic Con event, which is gearing up for its third year. Lee is a self-proclaimed Indigenerd who is bringing Indigenous superheroes to our community. Now, my co-host and radio producer, Kateri Zuni, speaks with Lee Francis. This is Kateri Zuni with Generation Justice, and today I'm speaking with Lee Francis, CEO and founder of Native Realities, owner of Red Planet Books and Comics, and founder of Indigenous Comic Con. Lee, welcome to Generation Justice. Thank you so much for having me. It's always a pleasure to be here. Tell us a little bit more about yourself, if you will. Yeah, so my uh, my family is from the Pueblo of Laguna on my dad's side. Uh, I have been an educator for a number of years. Uh, I grew up on both coasts. Uh, my dad worked for BIA and for university systems, and uh, but always would be back here um, at home at Laguna in the summer times. And so, you know, really had a good understanding and grounding in my community and my culture. Um, I began my teaching career at Laguna Acoma High School. I've done a number of, of years of service uh, within media and comics and uh, consider myself a huge indigenerd uh, in terms of the uh, in terms of the work that I do. Um, yeah, I think that's that's a good setup about me. And tell us a little bit about Native Realities and, and the work that you do. Sure. So Native Realities, we founded Native Realities three years ago. Uh, the idea was to be able to create uh, graphic novels, comic books, games, toys, and collectibles that are indigenous-centric, that feature the stories of Native and indigenous people um, on their own without being sidekicks, without uh, you know some sort of uh, Anglo shepherd, if you will, to to guide us through our processes. Um, and to, to also portray Native folks as superheroes or space rangers, um, there's just a lack of that, that kind of work out there for Native folks, Indigenous folks, to see themselves represented in that way. So when we got everything started, that was the whole, that was the whole purpose, um, to change the perceptions of Native and Indigenous peoples by utilizing popular culture. Tell us a little bit about the work that you do for young people. I've been doing work with young people for a number of years. I think uh, it comes from my father. My father was an instructor. He was the first chair of Native Studies here at the University of New Mexico. He was the uh, fellow that moved the program from a department to, uh, or from a program to a department. 
Um, and so, you know, there's a long history of me working, you know, the, coming from a teaching background and working with young people. And I think when I was early on in my teaching, what I recognized was that there was just a lack of resources for Native youth um, that represented their their current identities, right, as as urban or as, we'll say, postmodern uh, reservation Native kids, right? So it was all really historicized type of stuff. Um, and as I kept looking at that, I recognized that there was a need to do more. And so set out with a number of partners, collaborators, artists, illustrators, writers, et cetera, people that I had known and networked with throughout my career to be able to establish a company that would be able to create more of that media for for our young people. So, you know, moving from being a teacher uh, into sort of what we'll, we'll say an informal education uh, mode, I suppose. Or as I like to joke, I got my PhD so that I could open up a comic shop. So tell us about Indigenous Comic Con. How did it begin? What was the inspiration? Sure. The inspiration really came about a number of conversations with some amazing uh, illustrators and creators. Aragon Star, um, the creator of Super Indian, award-winning playwright, award-winning musician. She and I started having these various conversations. And it's like, wouldn't it be great if we had our own version of something like this, uh, Comic-Con, because we'd gone to several Comic-Cons together, and she had appeared at a number of Comic-Cons herself and in terms of her work, and uh, and, a ske- and a hole in the schedule opened up, and it was winter, it was early spring 2016, and I just kept looking at it and says, you know what, we need to do this. We can't keep waiting around. We can't keep just talking about it on social media or having these conversations. We need to just go ahead and put this together put it on the books, and get this Comic-Con going. And that's what we did. Uh, myself, you know, I launched all of this, you know, sort of with, with two hands and a flashlight, put all the pieces together and reached out to a lot of the networks and brought in these amazing artists and creators and illustrators and game designers and actors and everybody else that that we had in the first year. And really with the whole point of, you know, creating a space where we all were able to exist um, without context. And I think that's such a huge part of what we've tried to create. You know, very often in our lives as indigenous folks, we're very segmented, right? So, you know, if I'm, say, a writer of fantasy novels, I'm going to go to the fantasy novel conferences. And as a native person in that fantasy novel conference, I'm pretty much alone. There's probably two of us, you know, maybe at the same conference. And I'll be speaking on a panel and I'll be talking about native stuff. And it's great. I appreciate the opportunity to represent, but it's also, I don't know, it's, it's, it's alienating. And the fact that I'm the, that I have to represent all of Native America in this space, not, you know, not entirely like true hyperbole in what I'm saying, but, but that's often what comes down when, you know, outside folks sort of look at Native, Native folks just like, oh, well, tell me about Native identity. And I was like, man, there's like 600 Native tribes. Like, how am I supposed to identify every, like, I can tell you about Laguna Pueblo as an urban, non-res-based nerd kid. Um, so partly one of the main things was that we would all be able to have one space where we could occupy and be ourselves without having to explain it to anyone, without having to go into our panels and be like, well, let me start with the history of Native communities and our families and our, you know, and I see you nodding because this, you know, this is what we do. And and so 
so the the Comic Con is a space where where we get to come in and we just get to be ourselves. And parallel to that is also to showcase the work that all these amazing native creative artists are doing so everyone can enjoy. It's not just for native peoples, right? Anymore that Indian market is only for native folks. Like, man, we all show up there because it's a great gathering point, but like it's for everybody to come see this incredible work that's being done. And and lastly, it was, you know, my my own selfish reasons were just so that I got to hang out with everybody. I, I was, you know, I got I got native cred. I'm just like, oh, do we get to all play for the weekend? Well, this is great. I get to see you. I get to see you. I get to see you. This is wonderful. So that was really what what triggered everything and, and, and what we've done over the last three years. Thank you for that. What kind of feedback have you received from native and indigenous folks after seeing native heroes and icons? represented in, in such a way the 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 response from native native communities has been you know like 99.9 percent positive and i and i think it's just so overwhelming for me because parents that i talk to people that pick up the books and and that see when we're out doing you know the comic books or come down to the comic con they 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 end up having a totally different view of i think what's what's possible and i think that's really what we have positioned ourselves as. I mean, I, I, I call Native Realities in the work that we do a, an indigenous imagination company, which is that we are promoting the imagination. Colonization was was detrimental for a number of reasons, but one, not only did it steal our land, but they stole our imagination. We were a people that charted the stars thousands upon thousands of years ago. We, we had created internal structures and systems of sustainability and architecture and design that have lasted for thousands of years. And that was all built on our imagination. And so when we were forced onto reservations and when colonization and colonial empire uh, subsumed our systems and our peoples, they took that huge component, which is that imagination. And I think that that's so striking when people, that's, it's there. It's not that they, let me rephrase that. It's not that they took it, it's that they buried it. And so the idea is that when we come back with this kind of stuff, people feel that spark. The fire never went out. The embers are still there. It just needs to be cultivated. We just need to blow on that. We need to bring that fire back. And when that fire starts to burn, then we come out of our systems where there's so much like internalized violence and we begin to see the the opportunities that we can take part in and that we can change our own systems, you know, using that imagination, using that passion. And it's not to say that it's not a slog. It's not a hard, you know, road. But I think that that's, you, I'm like when you watch people and they pick up a book and they're like, huh, I never thought about this. And that's, I can literally just see that ember. I can see that begin to glow. And I can't say that that's an immediate reaction. I can't say it's just like, oh, haha, I will change the world like this. It, for me, it's, it's like, I know it's a slow burn. And that's going to stay in your soul and that's going to kindle. Because once you begin to see representations of yourselves as a superhero, you begin to think of yourself as a superhero. If this guy can do it, then I can do it. You know, if this character that's on a page is acts like this, then I can act like that, then I can be that, and I can become something amazing. And so, you know, and then that fire goes. And then and then all of a sudden we got this, you know, this roaring, heating, beautiful uh, fire that 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 can stir all of us. Um, toward action, towards self-determination, towards sovereignty, towards loving, caring, compassion, sustainable communities. So Lee, what do you hope 
to see for the future of Native Realities or Indigenous Comic-Con? Yeah, I, I hope it just continues to expand and grow in a space where, you know, our communities are engaging in this work and recognize the value and validity of something that we've put forward into this world. Uh, we're seeing more expansions. Uh, next year, we're expanding to four different locations, including here. So we'll be moving to, we'll have an expansion in Denver. Uh, we're looking at an expansion out in Tucson and Melbourne, Australia. Wow. So, you know, really it's trying to bring this space because a lot of the times it's, it's as we as I know in the work that I've done, but the, that we know in organizing work is more often than not, you have to bring this to the communities. Um, I mean, it travels hard, you know, getting out for something. You know, there's, there's schools, there, you know, there's there's life, there's jobs. So, you know, hosting conventions, not necessarily something everyone can show up to. So in our mission and our and our work is to is to be able to bring that out to the community so that they can see this work because we found that there are so many artists and creatives that are that are engaging in this locally that may not be on anybody's radar but it's like you know it's like oh I got my cousin yeah my cousin makes these little art prints on the wall and it's like uh you know it's uh it's a it's a what do I want to say? It's a Coeur d'Alene Batman, you know, or like whatever, right? Like up up north or, you know, it's, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a Pueblo Spider-Man. And you like, mm-hmm. and I was like, man, why, why aren't they, why aren't they doing this out? And it's like, because they got a job, you know, and they got, to, they got to do work. So if we can get more of this into the spaces, um, you know, that we, you know, that we, that we exist in, that, that our community spaces, you know, then it creates a whole different dynamic, um, on the broader perspective, on the you know the macro perspective for the industry and the you know the Western industry is that more of our folks can get should be in those positions, those creative positions and executive positions, and so the work that we do here is essentially a sandbox or a testing ground for them to get notice and and be called upon. And that's one of the beautiful things that I've seen over the last couple of years with the Comic-Con is that we get all these great visitors that come out and then all of a sudden, you know, the four or five folks that are in, you know, the artist alley or this person that's over here, they're just like, oh yeah, I teamed up with this person and I'm, I got a job, I got like three contracts and now I'm, you know, now this is what my job is for this year, you know? So I think that that's, that's been the benefit and that's what I hope we're able to do. I hope we're able to just, you know, continue to bring um this this inspiration this cultivating the imagination and and projecting you know this this bright and beautiful future for native and indigenous people here um not only in north america but throughout the world where can folks go to find more information oh great um well folks can check out uh the website which is www.indigenouscomiccon.com you know, it's, uh, it's uh, got, uh, you know, all the information, shows all the wonderful artists. It's a great way to also, like, follow up so that you can just, you know, be like, oh, who's this person? And then you can follow that person and just be like, oh, let me check. Oh, they got some great art. Let me check out their art, you know, or let me check out the, check out their website or whatever. Um, you know, it's, it's uh, you, that's, that's, that's basically our, that's our source. And, you know, of course, all of our social medias. So you can do the social medias. For all of you social media people out there, of course, our, our Generation Justice and our young folks are very much wired. So find us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, I think. And that's pretty much it. Lee, is there anything else that you'd like to add? You know, the main thing that I always add is, is, is two things. One that I said before, which is everyone is welcome. All of the folks that are listening, all the young people that, that we work with, all of the organizers, these are these moments to really, you know, when, when things like this arise, it's, these are the important moments to be able to, to show up for. 
but also for folks to be, you know, to be aware of. Um, you know, again, we know everybody's busy. We know things that are going on, but, you know, this is the kind of stuff that needs to stay on the radar because this is where we're able to be able, you know, where we're able to, to cultivate and change systems in a way that's, that's fun, right? Like that's the thing that I think we, we tend to overlook a lot of the times in our organizing work is because there's so much passion and there's a lot of times there's a lot of anger and, and, and we need to remember that there's also moments where we need to celebrate and have fun um, because those moments are just as important in finding that balance, right? We talk about, you know, uh, uh, what is it like self-care, right? Things like this, the events that we have, the comic cons or any place where we can just go and laugh and giggle and, and just experience and wonder. Those are the places that we also need to remember because that's a huge component of self-care. Um, and especially for the work that we're doing within our communities. Um, so I think that's, that's really important. And as I always say is like, yeah, man, just keep finding these folks. Like we got a lot of great artists and, and creators and everybody that we work with that are indigenous. Some of them we have, some of them can't make it. Some of them are wherever just, but people just got to keep finding them so that they can get to, they get to continue to do this work, support them as best we can. Great. Thank you so much. It's been a real honor to speak with you and to oh. to learn about the history of Indigenous Comic-Con and, and where it's going in the future. As an Indigenous woman and as the mother of a young Indigenous child who is totally geared up for this, um, yeah. I want to thank you. Awesome. Thank you. It is an absolute honor, as I, I think we were saying uh, on the lead-in. Um, I've been connected with... with Generation Justice and and the crew and uh, Roberta and everybody for oh, going on a decade now. Um, and many of my young people came through this program, so I'm always indebted to the work that you all do and have continued to do. So this is an honor for me. Thank you. For Generation Justice, I'm Kate Rizuni. Lee, it was such a pleasure to speak with you, and I thank you so much for opening up a world of superheroes and native icons to our community, and especially to our youth. Elakwa. I'm so hopeful for a future of Indigenous superheroes. Thank you, Dr. Lee Francis, for expanding the world of Comic-Con. Now for some tunes, here is Junior Frybread by Aragon Star, artist chosen by Dr. Lee Francis. NM Native Vote works to build and inform an active Native voter bloc in New Mexico. They organize to inform about Native issues that affect Indigenous communities in the state. Austin Wiaki from NM Native Vote has been an organizer for Indigenous rights in New Mexico. Now, my co-host Edgar Cruz speaks with Austin Wiaki. This is Edgar Cruz with Generation Justice, and I'm speaking with Austin Wiaki with the New Mexico Native Vote. Welcome back to Generation Justice. Thank you very much for having me. Will you please tell us more about yourself, Austin? Yeah, um, I am with a group called NM Native Vote, which um, is sort of a, another organization underneath the Native Voters Alliance. I am Cochiti Zuni in Navajo, um, and uh, I've been involved in sort of electoral politics here in New Mexico for the past two years. Great. Thank you. Can you tell us more about NM Native Vote? 
Yeah, um, we are an organization that's involved in uh, electoral politics. Uh, we're a C4 organization, so we try to get people involved in voting. Um, we try to politicize and empower a native electorate uh, here in Albuquerque and in five counties in New Mexico. Um, we are sort of a related organization to the Native American Voters Alliance. So if you know NAVA, you know NM Native Vote. Great. Thank you for clarifying that. How is NM Native Vote working to mobilize Native voters in New Mexico? Yeah, so we um, have a couple of independent expenditure campaigns where we are supporting uh, a couple candidates, and then we have some bipartisan work where we're doing ballot chases for some absentee ballots that were sent out on accident and uh, really just trying to get people out to vote, trying to pass the message that it doesn't matter so much who you're voting for, that we find that you make the best decisions when everybody votes. What are some of the resources that you can direct folks to? Yeah, uh, there's nmvote.org, which is the Secretary of State's website. Um, there is uh, canvassers that we have out on doors. We have phone bankers who are calling to inform about the candidates that we've supported. Um, and nmvote.org, again, is a great place. They have everything from sample ballots to requesting an absentee ballot to figuring out where you're supposed to vote. You can always check out your League of Women Voters. They have a great nonpartisan ballot um, rundown where they go through the bios for everyone who's on there. Um, and if you end up showing up at the polls and you only know the people at the top of the ballot, you should really feel free to just vote for who you feel comfortable voting with. Um, sometimes people vote party line. That's okay, too. However you want to vote, as long as you show up at the polls and vote for whoever you know that you support. Austin, what can you tell us about this year's ballot? Yeah, so at the top of the ballot, we have our governor's races. We have a huge part of our congressional delegation, so we have all our congressional seats up. Uh, we have our entire uh, House up for election this year, um, which is really, really important. That defines all of our state legislature. Um, we have our governor, which we are working very hard on, um, and then we have a couple of um, their bond issues, and those will be specific to where you live. And then we have a, uh, a couple of constitutional amendments, the first one being a review of the appellate process for New Mexico's courts, allowing the legislature to have more insight into um, how the appellate process works. And then the second one is a congressional amendment creating an ethics board that would be entirely independent of party or elected office that would really make sure that regardless of who your political party is would be... Um, creating an individual and independent ethics board. Thank you so much for that clarification and those details. Austin, this year we're looking at a record-breaking number of Indigenous women running for public office. What does this mean for Native communities and voters at this moment in time? Yeah, it means that we have a really, again, I think it's a unique opportunity to be heard um, in Washington and at the state level in our local government. It's a really a great opportunity for us to um, advocate for ourselves. How can folks find out more information about NM Native Vote uh, or voting resources in Native communities? Well, we have a website, um, nmnativevote.org. Um, we have everything from our endorsement list to donate, please donate. Um, we have information on the candidates. Uh, we have a whole bunch of stuff. We have a Facebook, which is again, nmnativevote.org. Um, you can still go to our old stuff, which is uh, NAVA, so that's the Native American Voters Alliance, so nativevotersalliance.org. Um, and we have information on all, the, on all the candidates that really pertain to Native issues and 
skew more native working family. Great, Austin, thank you so much. Is there anything else that you would like to add? I just want to say that it really is more important than anything that we go out and vote. Um, it doesn't matter who, you, who you're going to vote for. You might not support everyone who we support, but the number one thing is that we find that we make the best decisions when everybody is informed and involved. Thank you, Austin, for those details and for your insight and all of the work you do with NM Native Vote. Thank you for having me. For Generation Justice, I'm Edgar Cruz. Austin, the work you have done in New Mexico and nationwide with NAVA and NM Native Vote is vital to New Mexico. Thank you so much for spending this time with us today. Austin, thank you so much for your incredible work and for your dedication to mobilizing indigenous communities to get out and vote. Before we close our program, we have a quick announcement. Working Classroom is hosting their annual Day of the Dead celebration, A Thirst for Justice, at Three Sisters Kitchen. Students from Working Classroom, alongside teaching artists Carlos Gabordon and Eric J. Garcia, created a multimedia installation of papel picado and projection mapping to bring to light the forgotten struggles of water contamination. Honor loved ones with art, food, and music Friday, November 2nd from 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. at 109 Gold Avenue Southwest. Tonight's Hour of Radio was produced by Kateri Zuni and Roberta Rael. Audio editing was provided by Adrian Rivas. And we want to give a big shout out to all of our youth producers, because we could not do what we do without you. Generation Justice would also like to thank KUNM for helping to bring the voices of young people to you, KUNM listeners. Our website is generationjustice.org, where you can check out all of our multimedia work and listen to our podcasts, which are also available on SoundCloud, iTunes, and now rinkusen.com. We're also active on social media platforms like Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Generation Justice is funded by the W.K. Kellogg Foundation with additional funding from the McCune Foundation, Con Alma Health Foundation, the Albuquerque Community Foundation, and of course, all of you who have contributed to our project by visiting our website and clicking donate. Our opening song is Youth of the Nation by P.O.D. And coming up, you'll hear One More Time by Redbone and In the Garage by Weezer. I'm Kateri Zuni. And I'm Edgar Cruz. Coming up on KUNM is Spoken Word, so stay tuned and join us next Sunday at 7 o'clock.
I love everyone waiting there for me.